and welcome to the Cinema Show, where we bring you movie news, reviews, and insights right here on our podcast. I'm Dylan Martin. Here with me is Jackson. What's up, guys? Glad to be back. <laughs> and our lovely Lori. Well, hello, everyone. Oh, my gosh. Dylan, are you a Libra? <laughs> <laughs> you know how I can tell? Shape of your ears. Oh, I... I actually am a Libra. It's great to be here, guys. Yes. On this episode, we are giving you three movie reviews. That's right. A trio of movie reviews. A trifecta of movie reviews. Tres criticas de la películas for our Spanish-speaking audience. And three very different movies. Let's go with Coming to America. Needing a male heir to the throne, Prince Azim returns to Queens, New York to find his long-lost son and bring him back to Zamunda. The returning cast includes Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, Sherry Headley, and James Earl Jones, along with new characters joining the sequel played by Wesley Snipes, Leslie Jones, and Jermaine Fowler. This movie is directed by Kenya Barris. Coming to America is exclusively currently streaming on Amazon Prime. And yeah, I guess we let's just start off right off the bat. General impressions of the sequel. How do we feel about it? Uh, of the sequel or the first one? Uh, the, the sequel. I, I mean, we're going to be comparing the first one. So okay. we'll, we'll, we'll get into the original for sure. But yeah, for coming to we're talking about coming to America, not to be confused with Coming to America. Okay, so coming to America. Exactly. I did not like this one. <gasps> oh, Mm-mm. okay. Now, I I could not stand it. I thought the first one, uh, which I had seen just for the first time a couple days ago, I thought it was great. I loved it. I'd, I'd never seen it before, and I didn't know what to expect. And I had only grown up in a world where Eddie Murphy was already considered great. I knew him from uh, Donkey from Shrek, and uh, I was like, well, I like him in that, so yeah, he's great, of course. I never questioned it. But even just going back to seeing this one movie, and I know he was on SNL, that's where he got a start, and then his all of his other movies, just seeing this one, I get a taste of that greatness, like, yeah, Eddie Murphy was changing the game. He was phenomenal, and I don't think that could be any further from the truth with this one. I think the whole premise of this movie just kind of goes against what the first one was doing. And I don't know they addressed that in the movie, but I, I don't know. I, I, this one just did not sit well with me uh, for how well executed the first one was. It was Eddie Murphy and John Landis. Like, come on. Yeah, I, I thought Eddie Murphy, there's not a single... I'm sure Eddie Murphy's been in his share of... Uh subpar movies but it's always eddie murphy who stands out in anything he's done i haven't seen like a technically a bad performance from eddie murphy he's always entertaining in what he does um laurie <laughs> Lord, Lord, give me that look maybe i haven't seen enough eddie murphy movies <laughs> uh, but the ones i've seen i find him funny he's entertaining and here i was very worried about him not bringing it but yeah i i still think eddie murphy here he was just as bright and cheerful as the first movie. So my whole thing is that I think, first of all, I love the movie for what it was. It was a trip down memory lane. 
nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia out the yin yang. They didn't only reference the original Eddie Murphy movie, but they referenced Trading Places, which was probably considered one of his best movies. Uh, and everybody says, oh, the coming to America was the epitome. But oh, my gosh, no, 48 hours and trading places was really the thing that put him over the top. By the time he did coming to America, that was like that project they gave him and said, OK, you've done your time. Now do whatever you want. And that was that movie. I could tell like they were having fun with that first movie. Yeah. And I think that the spirit of that held true to the second one. I think they completely had a great time. They did not do this movie for critics. They did this movie for the fans. And they did this movie because they loved the nostalgia of it. And there wasn't a single thing from the original that they didn't pay homage to. I think they were more worried about making sure they were true to the original. And because of that, I loved it. I've seen it four times since it came out. I have seen it four times. And I know a lot of people who are really like those true diehard fans of the original have also been watching it multiple times <laughs> because you find little things as you're going through it. For instance, I don't. Can we get into spoilers yet or no? Yeah, let, let's get into spoilers. Why not? OK, so spoiler alert. He comes in and the very beginning. I'm not going to lie to you. The very first time I watched this, the first half of it did not have me. I was like, oh, it was too many references. It was too much for me in the beginning, especially the father. Like they went off on the whole, we're not McDonald's, we're McDowell's and this and that. And I was just like, eh, Louie Anderson. But they stayed true to recognizing everybody from the original. Where they got me was when the son went in for his interview at the business where he was interviewing at and the name of the D and D, and then you looked up and you saw it was the guys from Trading Places. He was the grandson of the guys from Trading Places. Have y'all seen the movie Trading Places? Yeah, I thought that was an. In I didn't even expect that type of uh, tie-in. Like, I, I didn't think they would uh, reference Trading Places. Well, remember they referenced it in the original one. He gave them the money. They were the two homeless men on the side of the street. Oh, that's did right. They? That's right. Yeah. Yes. He gave them the money, remember? And he says, Mortimer, we're back. That's what that's that right. was. I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that. In the, I didn't know what that was all about. I, I've never yeah. seen Trading Places. Absolutely. Trading Places, hilarious movie. Hilarious movie. Him, Dan Aykroyd, just a brilliant film. And it's about these two older men who, of course, take uh, a homeless guy that they find off the street, which is Eddie Murphy, and they have the Dan Aykroyd character, and they literally, it's a bet that they have. They're two bored rich guys, and they said, "What if, we could make anybody a billionaire. We could make anybody a business tycoon, you know, and we can also destroy anybody. And it was a bet they had. And then in the end, what happens in that movie, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy end up teaming up because they figure out that they're being used. And they end up completely bankrupting these two guys. In Coming to America, he's playing the prince. He's walking with Lisa down the street. Remember, he took all that money from Simi? He stops and sees those homeless guys and he gives them the food, which is filled with the money. And they open it and he says, Mortimer, we're back. And so what this movie told us with him interviewing for that company is that they took the money that he gave them and they came back in the worst way. Did they learn anything <laughs> no. from being homeless? No. 
They perpetuated their company just like they did before with their silver spoon mouthed, you know, descendants sitting there talking about it's not a direct racism like it was in the original trading places. What it is is what we deal with now today, which is a passive aggressive mm -hmm. racism. The most entertaining parts for me were the nostalgic parts and everything else was the least interesting. If anything, I kind of thought the new characters and the, the new story was kind of flat for me. And I know you if you can't really do the whole fish out of water story again, because then people will be saying, oh, you're just redoing what you did in the first movie. You know me, I kind of like have a cynical view about nostalgia and like these uh, callbacks and references. But having rewatched Coming to America, uh, I think a month or two ago, I actually was satisfied with how they paid homage and uh, kind of like tying some bows from 30 years ago, kind of like the the uh, McDowell's uh, going to Zamunda. I, I, I like that. And I love seeing Louis Anderson. I, I love him. So for me, it was it was a nice little OK, like they're everyone's doing well, the, those characters, those characters that we know and love. But yeah, uh, the the son here, I felt like he was like just kind of boring. I, like he doesn't bring the same charm that Eddie Murphy has. Nobody can, um, yeah, but no, nobody's young Eddie Murphy. Yeah, you, you want to match that charisma that Eddie Murphy had back then and still has now, and I don't, I don't think he had that for me. I mean, I'm sure he's a great actor, a great person. I'm sure he's even funny as well. But for this movie, it wasn't a good showcase for him. If this was done 10 years ago and it, it, that role would have gone to Kevin Hart, I think this was a bit would, would have been a completely different movie. Ooh, yeah. Because immediately that's what I thought. I said, oh, my gosh, I know Kevin Hart now. He's a little too established. He's been around too long. But 10 years ago, if you would have made this movie and cast Kevin Hart as, as his son, brilliance, brilliance. And I could see that. Uh, with the mix of Leslie Jones. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> like if Eddie Murphy and Leslie Jones had a baby, Kevin Hart. <laughs> that's that's what I wouldn't... <laughs> that's a perfect... That's good. That's good casting right there, Lori. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Speaking of Leslie Jones, love, 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 loved her in this movie. I thought she was just her same Leslie Jones stuff. See, Leslie Jones to me is kind of like carbs. It's uh, best with moderation for me. I love Leslie Jones, but I if I'm in the room with her too long, I kind of like, I need to check out. Uh, but I will give you this. I, I was kind of like, when she got introduced into the movie, I was kind of like, oh, okay, like, it's Leslie Jones. She's doing what she's doing. I thought the last half of the movie, when her and uh, Shirley Headley uh, are interacting together, I felt like both of those characters improved so much compared to the first half of the movie yeah because they actually like got to talk to each other and they actually had character moments together i mean like i, I think that's where my problem is i was coming at this from a critical angle because i thought the first one was great okay uh going back to the references real quick did anyone catch the taxi reference from the first movie oh yeah where he says stop okay so yeah. whenever he comes out of the airport yeah, i got that yeah yeah his first words spoken to him in america in the first movie are you dumb it's perfect <laughs> it's perfect it's new york it's america and <laughs> that's perfect and then this movie he's like halt and he's like, sorry, guy, you got to go through the app. Uh, there's, uh, It's rush hour right now, so there's going to be like a $5 fee. And I'm like, okay, I'm glad it wasn't just another guy yelling, you dumb fuck, or like the same guy from the first one. They actually had a little funny spin on it. 
it was so symbolic of what we are now as compared to then. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and how much Queens has changed. Gentrification! I want to... <laughs> yeah. I want to ask both of you how... Uh, I guess talking about both movies because they both share the barber scene. Mm-hmm. And how, how, how it's aged and how they kind of went at it this time around. What did you think about the barbershop scene and just those characters in general? You know, it, it's funny because they, in the politics during, like, whenever it's the characters and, like, uh, it's the characters in the story going at it, it when the politics are so, like, not progressive. It just, like, the politics of this movie are like, yeah, we've seen this before, we know this, but they're preaching it to us anyways kind of thing. Uh, the politics in this were kind of uh, just repetitive, staying, saying, like, basic decent things, you know? But uh, then they go and still have the barbershop scene uh, where they're like, oh, I got my feeling up done when I was young. I don't need to do it anymore. Like, you can't have your cake and eat it, too, is uh, my thing. But it was only that first barbershop scene. The rest of them I liked. Uh, It's just that first little instance whenever they were trying to set up the politics of this movie. Because, I mean, that is playing a role in this this film, whether uh, you want to bring it up or not. It plays a big role into this movie and the decision by uh eddie murphy's character at the end of the at the end of the i almost said play the end of the movie so yeah i thought they used them well after that first little instance with them i loved how they decided uh to still make those men who they were they still had the inappropriateness uh and i love how they were able to do it behind the veil of the makeup and behind the veil of a mm-hmm. character, I wanted so bad for them to still push the envelope with it. And then I love how the one guy says, oh, yeah, little African baby. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's too far. That's too far. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. Because in, even them, even though we want them to be unchanged, even they have changed a little. Even they are mm-hmm. still aware. Whether or not they're self-aware, at least they're aware. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, I that's really true. I loved how they continue to push that envelope. Yeah. Lori, you're winning me over on this movie, man. It's good. I loved it now. I, I, I yeah, I felt like I cracked up uh, when I rewatched the first movie and I cracked up again with the sequel. Uh, I thought they did not miss a beat. It's funny how they it looked like they didn't age at all. <laughs> yeah, I know. This movie came out 30 years ago, and I'm assuming those barbers were like in their 70s or 80s. So they, they have to be already 100 by now. But I, I just love how they didn't age at all. And yeah, like Lori said, I'm glad they didn't really try to change those characters because that's who they are. It's the older generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not going to change for anybody. They have their own type of sense of humor. And as long as you can make it funny, then that's comedy. You're, it's all about pushing the envelope and seeing how far you can go with it, especially with that guy saying, yeah, the starving african kids and they're like whoa whoa that's so, that's too far you can't you don't joke about that uh so i loved it um so, but yeah also before i want to start talking about the new characters and the the new story too but i have a question where's samuel jackson more importantly yeah where is mr jerry curl himself is eric lasalle yeah where is he at i really thought he was going to come out in this movie because every everybody and more you know who is in Eddie Murphy's good side right now because yeah. they all showed up in the movie. Morgan Freeman. I was like, whoa. Like, I, I heard his voice in the voiceover, but then seeing him there at the actual spoilers yeah. uh, funeral. Which, by the way, the funeral, 
I, I kind of got a little a little choked up because it's James Earl Jones, and I mean he's getting older. Exactly. And and, and I kind of because I watched this with my girlfriend, and I looked to her. I was like, man, when Mufasa goes like again, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for real this time. Yeah, seeing Morgan Freeman, uh, Tracy Morgan, uh, love seeing him there too. But yeah, I I, I just thought of uh, some. I I'm pretty sure they can't afford Samuel Jackson right now. That's true. I mean, he's high up there. But mm-hmm. hey, they got you would think. Else. I mean, like it, it's everyone else is there. You know, he might as well. You know what I would have liked? I would have liked for Samuel Jackson to be the manager of uh, McDowell's. Yeah, there that would have been nice. That would have been a nice touch. Like, oh look, he came around. He changed. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but. But we're talking about let's talk about some new characters because as far like I have criticisms about uh, the new uh, actors that came in. Uh, Leslie Jones, I liked ha- her latter half uh, character in the movie, and Tracy Morgan's always funny. But the standout for me out of both old and new characters was Wesley Snipes. I loved Wesley Snipes in this movie. He, you know, he was having fun. He had the time of his life in this role. And if the whole movie kind of focused on him and Eddie Murphy, them budding heads, I would have been totally okay with them not going back to Queens. Mm -hmm. Because I loved, I wanted more of Wesley Snipes. Give him a movie. Give that character an entire movie. I think this was great for Wesley Snipes. I was so freaking proud of him for this movie. Because I'm just like, yes, Wesley Snipes just had a blast. And because... You know, he was having so much fun. We were having so much fun. But I'm so glad. I'm so glad he did this role. Uh, everything from the introduction, you know, inspiration for Mufasa. <laughs> I was like, yes. And then he comes out. And it's, I love it even when they're, like, going back to see, like, their rebel forces. And, you know, everything that you're expecting. And they're working out. And they have the shake weights. <laughs> and... He's yeah. reading the story to the kids. He's like, okay, okay, go play now. Stay away from the grenades. Be careful. And I'm just like, yes. I loved everything about it. And even he's like, there will be blood. Not that kind of blood, but like marriage blood. And I was like, yes. I thought it was brilliant. He was brilliant. And I'm so happy for him because he's had a really rough time in Hollywood. I'm so glad he's back, you know, and hopefully his taxes are all paid up now. And... And, you know, I I just think that this was great for him. And I think we're going to see him in other things from here. And I will say about Leslie Jones, though, I'm not a fan of her in other things. But she Mm -hmm. sold me over in this movie from the start. Um, I loved it from the very beginning when she's there and she was just there like, you know, he tells her, he's like, Mom, is this my dad? She's like, is this your dad? Oh, you know what? Maybe. Maybe. And I was like, you know I was a hoe back then. I was like, yes! Yes! I imagine these conversations I'm going to be having with my children someday. (laughs) What are these black mashed potatoes? Black mashed potatoes? (laughs) I love it. And you know what? The entire time, the second the son ran in there to talk to his mom, I knew there was a man in the tub. And I was just waiting. I was just like, "Mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was another homage to the first one. Yeah, I had a feeling like this this big old man's going to come out of that tub, isn't he? And you know what I love? Sure I love that they addressed it. Because in the first movie, they're only talking about the men being bathed. So I always mm-hmm. wondered. That was something I always wondered from the first one. Well, what about the women? Well, now I know. <laughs> Equal rights in Zamunda. Yes. Mm-hmm. Except when it comes to uh, 
ruling the country, mm-hmm. which they uh, they fix. They fix at the end. Progression. Which I will admit, however much I love the movie, here's the thing. You can't look at this movie from a critical position. You have to look at it from having a good time. You re- it's a celebration. It's a celebration. It is not something to be critiqued. It is something to celebrate. And I think when you look at it from that perspective, it works. And Yeah, you're winning me over on that perspective because I, I was looking at it totally critically. And I'm like, there's so much filler. What are we doing here? Foreskin? What's going on? But <laughs> you're winning me over. But I, I will say as much as a good time I did have with it, I do feel like the story itself, especially with the lost son, which they call him bastard throughout the entire yeah. movie. <laughs> but it, that's a cultural thing. You know, it's a mundo that that's just the way they talk, um, like royalty and all that stuff. But I just feel like uh, I call all of my kids that <laughs> uh, I'm right there with you, Lori. I, uh, <laughs> I've had my fair share of uh, yeah, yeah, lovingly, yeah, it's with love, lovingly, it's all but love. Yeah, I just feel like mm-hmm. that storyline mm-hmm. with the son and Eddie Murphy, uh, Jermaine Fowler. I feel like they could have, they could have picked us a, a much better person for that role. I, I feel like he didn't match Eddie Murphy and didn't have that same type of spirit. But also going back to John Landis, I felt like his spirit too, it, it wasn't there. And I feel like he was a huge part in that first movie and what made it so special yeah there's a lot of technique uh things that are wrong uh on the technicals that i noticed like there's some weird eye lines there's the editing is really weird and choppy and and just some other like just shots and it's stuff that i picked up on just little things here and there and it just made me realize how much i missed john landis his shots were deliberate in that first movie we have close-ups of the globe of like that little magnifying glass like uh of the coin whenever they're it's that whole uh when they're trying to decide where to go la or new york that whole thing yeah it just wasn't that good uh, i noticed it first during the training scene with the staffs how in the first movie it's all wide shots and then uh, whenever they talk it's close-ups but it was close-ups and camera pans and motion blur in this one uh, and i i noticed that and i missed that from the first one Definitely. Actually, I didn't know about this, but John Landis and Eddie Murphy did not get along on that first set. I just, really quick, this is the track record of John Landis going into Coming to America. So he did Animal House, The Blues Brothers, An American Werewolf in London, Trading Places, as we talked about, and Three Amigos. And so, and I know somewhere in there was the, uh, the tragic accident that happened on the Twilight Zone movie. And that's where everything turned for John Landis. What happened on Twilight Zone? I didn't know about this. Okay, so the Twilight Zone, it had this one, it was a Twilight Zone movie. It had this one clip. There was a man who, he was racist. So he walks out of a bar, and when he walks out of the bar, he walks into the old Vietnam where he fought. But in it, he's not white. In it, he's Vietnamese himself. So he has to, like, navigate through this little area, and he's running with the children. And there was a helicopter scene, and there was an accident, and it ended up killing all of them. It ended up killing him and the two children. Yes, so John Landis had went to court. I believe he was found not guilty, but he was uh, a producer on that movie was Steven Spielberg. And after that whole incident happened, he broke ties off of uh, with John Landis. And Eddie Murphy even said in an interview, he didn't know that there was a problem between him and John Landis until it came to shooting Coming to America because Eddie John Landis expected Eddie Murphy to show up 
on trial to defend him and he didn't so john landis kind of felt betrayed by that so i guess they squashed it i'm hoping they did during that uh the original movie but but yeah john landis uh he yeah very just very terrible what happened uh in those in that situation it was but what it also did is it uh made hollywood put in those regulations that they didn't have from Mm -hmm. before um, with a lot of these stunts and with children being involved because the two small children died in the incident. Um, yeah, it, it was a horrific accident, which ended up, though, in the future, setting guidelines to make sure that never happened again. Holy crap, dude. I never knew about that. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? It's creepier every time you watch the movie because they still have that that part in it. They still have the, that scene in it. <laughs> They did not cut that wow. scene. So anytime you watch the Twilight Zone movie, that it kind of sends chills up my spine. Like I saw, like I'm seeing a ghost. Yeah. Mm. And I do want to point out these uh, special effects during the flashback scene uh, of coming to America when Arsenio Hall and Eddie Murphy are back at the bar. Remember that scene where they're trying to look for a, mm-hmm. a potential queen, a princess, a bride for Eddie Murphy? When you can tell, well, no, you can't really tell. It's really seamless how they do it, where they mm-hmm. add additional scenes to the flashback. Uh, I thought it was pretty spot on. I, They did a phenomenal job with the effects on that and de-aging both Arsenio Hall. Yeah, I'm not sure how they did it. If it was like that, a deleted scene, and they just stitched this together somehow through editing. But then whenever they were back at the apartment, I'm like, okay, how did they do this? The last thing I wrote after all of my negative criticism in my notes was, at least Eddie Murphy is having fun. And I think that's really the whole movie in a nutshell. Everyone's having fun on this on this set. You can tell. Everyone's having the time of their lives and they're just making some movie. (laughs) But uh, they're having fun and that's what matters. Absolutely. I think the biggest thing I took away from this is there were so many actors in the original who I hadn't seen since the original. And all I could think is, wow, why haven't I seen them since? Especially Lisa, his wife, because her scenes with Leslie Jones, she stole those scenes when they were doing the Humpty Dance. And when she comes in, she's like, I'm going to miss her. I'm like, she's funny. And she's great, and she's beautiful, and she looks great on screen. She was great in the first one. I'm like, well, why isn't why haven't I seen more of her? Absolutely. Yeah, that's why I thought that character needed a Leslie Jones because you think about it, you have this person who's lived in in America for so long, and then just she has to suddenly move and start a whole new life in Africa, a totally different place to her. So of course she's gonna miss that old lifestyle. So having someone close to her age range going to her and bringing that nostalgic feeling it was fun to see especially when they they both drink and they're having a good time yeah like i said them those two characters improved vastly when they got introduced to each other yes it's a celebration it it was fun to see everybody uh back together eddie murphy ever since uh, my name is dolomite uh ever since that movie came out it's always been like okay great eddie murphy's back he he's He's coming back, he's going to start doing movies, and he's having fun. And this is his first big one since uh, since Dolomite. I thought he came I thought he came back in Dreamgirls. 
Yeah, but that how long ago did that come out? Because we didn't really Dream see Girls him. was the two thousands. That was the two thousands. But I think when he came back in Dream Girls, he really solidified himself, and that gave him all of that. Because uh, before Dream Girls, he was on a downward. No, but spiral. he was completely absent from the twenty tens. We didn't see him at all after like after Dream Girls, like after uh, Meet Dave. And a thousand words. We haven't seen him. Well, I think since like after Norbit. I think the controversy with Mel B and his child and the huge divorce that I think that probably took a lot out of him because Dream. See, I don't know about that. Oh yeah, he had that ba- that illegitimate baby with that Spice Girl, and he wouldn't claim it until they actually did a blood test and they had to force him in there to do it. Like he did not want to claim that child, and it ended. It would have been great on him if it had. If he kept saying, "It's not mine. It's not mine. It's not mine." But then it ended up being his. Huge hit. Huge hit to his career. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because he had been married for years uh, to his wife and only had kids with her. He was considered like kind of you know Hollywood royalty when it came to the African American community, and then it came out that he had this scandalous affair with Mel B from the Spice Girls. And she kept going out saying, no, 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 it's his, it's his, it's his. And then he's vehemently denying it. And then in the end, wouldn't even show up to the paternity test until after the child was born. And then it took longer for him to show up to that. And then it was his. And it's like, oh, you're a douche. Yeah, but I love him. I love him. We all have a story. (laughs) Yeah, we all have a story. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I'm glad to see Eddie Murphy doing his thing. He... Uh, like I said, my name is Dolomite, uh, went to Netflix. I know we did that with them. And then Amazon Prime here with Coming to America. So I feel like right now his options just are expanding right now to what he, he can do. And I, I think Amazon Prime had came out saying that this was one of the highest streaming movies in the past couple of years. So Really? Wow. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what else Eddie Murphy has to offer. Maybe a Trading Places sequel. Well, you know, we were expecting it after coming to America because he had that little Easter egg where he gave them the money. We never got that. So I think this was not only the answer to coming to America. This was also the answer to Trading Places. So it was a double sequel. Ooh, okay. But I I do miss Dan Aykroyd. So Trading Places sequel, I want it. I want it now. Yes. All right. King Kong, the remake, 1976. When a research ship is sent to explore an island thought to be rich in oil, paleontologist Jack Prescott sneaks aboard, having heard strange rumors about the island. In route, the crew rescues Duan, the sole survivor of a shipwreck. When they arrive, they find a native people living in fear of a monster called Kong. The natives kidnap Duan and sacrifice her to what turns out to be an enormous ape. Duan is eventually rescued, and the ape captured for a gala exhibit. The remake stars Jessica Lange and Jeff Bridges. Yeah, so the remake... (laughs) This is a masterpiece. I don't know why you guys think it's bad. This is great, and I will list out my points. I have a lot of notes. Are you being sarcastic? No, I'm being 100% serious. This is great. No, it's not. Okay, <laughs> let's hear the man out. Yes, I will hear you. Okay, so this is all like, okay, so the whole first one was about love, right? There, It opens on that quote and then was uh, beauty that killed the beast in the first one. This one is not love. 
it's horniness. It's a statement on sexuality. It's got corporate America mixed in it. It's the 70s. It's a mix of everything. It's a product of its time unintentionally. Okay. Yeah. I have to agree and with looking that. looking back on it, like, it's unintentionally a product of, the, of its time. And because of that, looking back at it through, like, that kind of lens, like, seeing everything for what it is, it's, it's an unintentional critique of itself. It's post-sexual uh, revolution, but pre-AIDS. Yes. So that's the only time. The 70s, which was Studio 54, let's all remember... That's the only time something like this could have worked because it was post-sexual revolution, pre-AIDS, because the AIDS epidemic shut all of this down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the score. And yeah, also, the score's great. Shout out to Rick Baker. Yeah, he did the effects for Kong, and it was. I thought it was good. I thought Kong looked great in uh, this. He walked like a man, though. He did not walk like an ape. He was like <laughs> walking like a man. Yeah, the but forest. the reason. The reason they had him walking like a man through the forest is because they sexualized it so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's the whole thing. Like, Kong is the epitome of, like, primal urge and everything in this movie. Oh, my gosh. And, like, they go to New York City, the Big Apple, Adam and Eve, the first sin. Like, come on. <laughs> I think you're giving this movie a little too much credit. But Way too much I might credit. be, but, like... <laughs> you know what's crazy, though? Like... Compared to the original, this movie feels so slow-paced and unimaginative. Where are the monsters? All we see is Kong and a snake. That's it. There was, like, no sense of adventure. There was no sense of... uh, It's not even a romanticized type of love. It's that what we talked about in the last movie, the 1933. It's it's animal instinct. It's that uh, willingness to provide for another person, whether it's trying to protect them or have fun with them here but that's not what this movie's trying to do it's not trying to be the first one and give a sense of adventure and scale and love it's just money hungry oil company trying to go see this island that they can go and raid for the oil they're not even caring about anything they don't they don't want to deal with kong they don't even think that kong is a thing that exists and if if it does it's just going to be a roadblock in their quest for money and oil so they're not caring about that, and because of that, I mean, we don't need to see that. I mean, I feel like you, I, I feel like you should care about King Kong and a King Kong movie. I mean, com- when you're talking about the original, the sole purpose is its ambition. Oil business guy, oh, he's greedy. Seen that a hundred times before and after. Here in the fir- in the original, you have a director who's has ambition and his ambition is what gets him in trouble he sees kong and he's like oh forget this movie the world needs this so he captures king kong takes him and it's not greed at this point it's still that ambition it's the fame he wants to be on top and this one yeah like you said he doesn't care about kong and neither does the movie yeah but the whole point of this movie is that there's no like true like heartfelt emotion there's no love in this movie it's it's like there's no love between Kong and Dwan. There's no love between Dwan and Jack. There's no love between the lead oil guy and this expedition. This movie is devoid of love, and I believe that's on completely on purpose because Kong is mad horny in this movie. Wait, there's no love between Jack and Dwan? 
No, he's just looking out for her. He just, they're not like, they don't kiss. Yeah. At the end of, they do, do kiss. They, yeah, they, they kiss like kiss. twice. That's actually Three times, the only maybe. place where I saw love. That's right. That's right. Yeah, Jessica Lang's like, hey, I know there's an ape running around the city, but do you want to go grab a drink and talk about our future? That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah, it, there's a bunch of love there. And you talk about love between Duan and Kong. Oh, my goodness. That's more. That's not love. That's all sexuality. Yeah, that's true. You're, you're right. And there's that whole male gaze montage where we're just looking at Duan in her outfits on the ship. There's that whole montage in the beginning after they save her of just sexualizing her. That's the whole point of that scene and that montage is to associate this character with sexualization so that way it we don't have to say it outright for the rest of the movie you just immediately associate this character with but sexuality. how does that make that character better than Faye Ray's character I'm not saying that like this is better than the I'm just saying that this is doing something different and it doesn't have to be the original in order to be good it's doing its own thing and I think it's doing it well I have to disagree. I think that the whole oil thing was unnecessary. I think that uh, if they would have just stuck to the original part, they could have still had the paleontologist come on because he heard they were going to make a movie there. They didn't have to do the whole oil industry thing. Uh, I, I felt like it was extremely unnecessary to alter it in that way. I, I don't see. But again, that's indicative of the times because that's a very political point in in American politics. It's it's the late yeah, and, and that's a great reference to even even Dwan. Okay, so she's rescued. Yeah, like what are the chances are like the sole survivor of a yacht explosion is this movie like this film actress, this beauty, this model. Jessica she wasn't a film actress. She wasn't a model. No, she, she was wasn't. She was movie. gonna. She was dating a guy who did porn. That's what that was. That makes you don't more know, sense. You didn't catch that? She said, the reason I, I was that. on the dinghy was because he was showing his movie Deep Throat. That was the most famous porn from the 70s. That was the, that, that was the secret name. That. Do you know that Richard Nixon during Watergate, do you know that the informant who told them about Watergate, his code name was Deep Throat because it was the most highest grossing pornography movie in theaters of the 1970s. She was dating a guy who was doing porn and who was dating her, but she wasn't even good enough to put in the porn. I actually had to look that up during the movie when she said deep throat. I was like, no. So I looked it It up. I was like, oh. Everybody goes deep throat. It's the most famous porn movie ever released because that's back when they had the adult theaters. It made. I probably missed that because when I when I was writing down because yes! I didn't catch that at all. If I did, I would have noticed it, but I I probably she missed that entirely. Deep throat three times. Yes. It was two o'clock in the morning. I had to have the <laughs> TV volume down. I was looking down yes, and girl. writing. And then. <laughs> Give me. I I missed this then, one thing. For them to like completely take this character. Okay, first of all, we know what men think of women. You have the virgin. You have the Madonna. You have the virgin. You have the whore. And then somewhere along the way, after the 60s, we had this hybrid of um, what I like to call the baby, the baby whore. It's like, oh, my goodness, like, I'm so sexy, but I'm also kind of this baby, you know, thing. And they really perpetuated this with the character of Jessica Lange. I think Jessica Lange's a phenomenal actress. I love that they discovered her. But that's exactly the premise. It was baby slut. Because it was just like, oh, and I'm just going to run around and I just tear up all my clothes because it's so hot. And you big, 
strong man to save me. But that's the way she survived. That's why she ended up in the situation that she was in. You know? Exactly. And that's how she was trying to get out of the situation with Kong. She was trying to, like, oh, we'll never work. Like, she's flirting with him, but she's trying to do that to appease him to let him go. What's your sign, Kong? I bet you're an Aries. It's clearly she's not the brightest crayon in the box. So she's doing whatever she knows best, and she's doing whatever she can. Okay, gorgeous. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. She, you can't take your eyes off her. Let's she be, still is. Yes, Love still her. gorgeous. You cannot, she's the best thing about that movie. But, oh my, well, and Jeff Bridges. I'm sorry, but Jeff Bridges was gorgeous too. When he was like, when he was sneaking on to that boat on the rope, and I saw, and it was his face, so he was doing all that, and I was like, ooh, a man. That's a man. <laughs> they were both 26 at the time. I'm 26. I mean, look, what's going on here? Jeff Bridges, tell me your secrets. <laughs> I feel like they took the movie, they originally screened it, and they're like, oh, well, we have to scream it with men and women. And all the women were like, well, where, how did her clothes get that way? And they're like, ah, let's do a montage and just like fill it in there. It's very, it's very completely from that sexual perspective. Yeah, it's very of its time. It's of the 70s. It was very sexual yeah. then. This movie through and through is a product of its time and whether or not it's supposed to be a critique of itself or not, that's to be determined. But I think it's great for what it is. I think it, it diminishes the characters. I feel like the four main characters for me are the director, now here's a greedy oil oil business guy whatever and then at the end he turns into a, a producer for hollywood he's like oh we're gonna make movies we're gonna tour i was like okay like well, then why couldn't and that's where he was the most entertaining when he was on the ship and he was like hey we're gonna do the tour we're gonna do all this i'm like oh there's the real character why do we do this that's what he should have always been like the Miriam original C. cooper that was the director that was the character but that was finding a way to profit off of this is like well the oil thing was a bust how do we profit off of this thing now it wasn't him, like, finding a like his true stride or anything. It's more so just, all right, what's my next opportunity to make money from this? I've got to make my money back somehow. Or else he's going to be wiping windshields for the rest of his life. He says that at the beginning of the movie. So he's desperate and greedy for more money because his life is on, or his well-being is on the line if he fails. If all short compared to the original where a director had ambitions to make a, a great movie and instead he capitalizes on... Uh, the next big thing, which is Kong. Another thing, I feel like sexuality here diminishes Anne, which is now Fran or whatever the, her name is. Dwan. And also Dwan. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. like Dwan it's like Dawn, but you just you just mix up the A and the W. <laughs> it's supposed to be more memorable. Yeah, and I think it diminishes both Kong and her relationship, them two. Like, it, it goes for the easy way out. It's kind of that thing where you think about, it's like, is there a thing going on here? Nah. No, this movie's like, they're going to get it on. This is a romance, and it, it it just completely destroys both their characters for me. I mean, that's weird saying something about Kong. For me, it does. For me, it does as well. Yeah, and the only one that actually improves is the Jack character. That's the only character that actually improves. But hey, you need four legs to make a table. And also, did you notice the big life-size mechanical Kong they had at the end? There was like a big... There, okay, so originally they were supposed to use a life-size animatronic King Kong, but it never worked out. So they're just like, eh, we'll mm -hmm. just save it at the end and let's put somebody in a suit. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. 
And I love how at the end, instead of the Empire, uh, the Empire Strikes Back, hello, the Empire State Building, they're like, oh, what's the other biggest, what surpasses that building? The Twin Towers. So you got to go bigger. I feel like this movie in mm-hmm. a nutshell is like, it's going bigger, but it feels hollow at the same time. Exactly. Compared to the original 1933 movie for me. And I, I don't think that makes it a better movie or uh, at least a good movie. I just think it makes it superficial. I think there's a lot more to this movie than y'all are given credit for. I think this mm-hmm. is definitely worth a watch. And I think there, there's more to it than y'all are giving it credit for. I think you're giving it too much credit than it deserves. This was much harder for me to get through. Um, yeah. Than other movies. And that's because I've seen bits and parts of this before because I remember my mom having it on. And then when I knew that we were going to do this, King Kong, the original, I've seen so many times. This one, I'm like, you know what? I need to rewatch it in its entirety. It was hard to get through this movie. It really was. Yeah. And again, the lack of imagination, just it, it felt lazy at the same time, too. At least in the original, they made time to show other type of types of creatures. I think even the whole crew that died, I felt something for them in the original movie. Here, it's like, eh, the log scene, done. Okay, like you said, like nobody cares about Kong, so neither do I, uh, besides Jessica Lange, of course. And I love how at the end, it turns into a Tarantino movie, because <laughs> Kong is just drenched in his own blood, and I was kind of like shocked by that. I don't remember seeing that ever, but rewatching it, I was, I don't know, I thought it was really distasteful for that character. That was the point! And the close-up of the feet. Oh, wait, is that not Tarantino? <laughs> <laughs> If you pause the right moments, you can see Jessica Lange's toe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't... Uh, gas, oil, bad. Yeah, I I, I get it. Oil, bad. I, <laughs> what more do you want from me? <laughs> Whereas the director, his ambition is what gets him in trouble, and I could relate to that. We all have ambitions, and sometimes it gets... Uh, uh, we, we overdo it sometimes. Exactly. I think at the heart of everything, it's about... It's that whole kiss mentality when it comes to anything you're doing keep it simple stupid yeah speaking of that i want to talk about ryan the last dragon a film that i say is too simple and a film that unfortunately gentlemen i did see the trailer uh but i did not get to watch it oh but that's that's okay okay. i don't mind spoilers so please talk away so ryan the last dragon long ago this is funny that you say it was simple I thought it was way more. It was too much. Long ago in the fantasy world of Kumandra, humans and dragons lived together in harmony. However, when sinister monsters known as the Droon threatened the land, the dragons sacrificed themselves to save humanity. Now, 500 years later, those same monsters have returned. And it's up to a lone warrior to track down the last dragon and stop the Droon for good. Disney animated features stars voice talents of Kelly Marie Tran and Aquafina. And you can watch that on Disney Plus for $30. Is it worth $30? Uh, no. No, I don't think so. No. Not at all. I, uh, I'm curious to see what, what you have to say about it, Jackson, because I thought it was too much rather than just something. Okay, so, so there definitely is that. It's very contrived, and there's a lot of exposition in this movie that, like, you keep getting exposition the longer this goes. There's just always more exposition to be found around every corner. Well, re- really quick, I just want to explain a little bit more to Lori. So pretty much this land gets separated into five different tribes because 
conflicts, whatever. The different the different parts of the dragon, they were all in harmony and then conflict, yada yeah. yada. So just think about that. A country, they fight, now they're broken into five different tribes. Like Wakanda. Ah. Like trolls too. <laughs> oh, because e- the, all known. of the different genres <laughs> of music, they have to each take a string. That's right. Actually, I saw the trailer. I know I actually that enjoyed much. that movie. I love that movie. But yeah, so I love how Disney kind of respects their audience to the point where they have to dumb down everything. They don't trust the audience at all to the point where every time they revisit one of these tribes, they have to do an entire title card saying, hey, this is called Fang. Remember Fang? If not, it's okay. We spelled it out for you. And we're going to spell it out for you every time we reference the town. Like exposition up the wazoo. Every time they... Mm-hmm. It's essentially a video game. You start from one tribe and you go down the river and you're going to visit every tribe. And before you get to that tribe, you have a character say, hey, this is what this town's all about. And they just give you exposition, exposition, exposition. You get to the town and you spend two minutes on there. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. This movie was boring. Yes, it was. Because, like, th- this is, I wrote, this is my main thesis for, like, my whole review. This is nothing more than an amalgamation of U.S. media tropes with a Southeast Asian aesthetic. They were trying so hard to make it something that it, it ultimately isn't because it's just filled to the brim with everything that's already been tried and true, formulaic Disney and modern day animation tropes. You have the funny baby, you have the funny trio that are the, the animals, uh, and then you have Aquafina, who I just could not stand in this movie. I feel like there were way too many segments in the script where like, oh, we're just going to have her ad-lib and we'll end the scene with an ad-lib. But what they got wasn't what they wanted and so they just didn't know how to end and they just have to fade into the next scene. There was a lot of moments like that. I was that. comparing this to, or that character, Aquafina, who I love, by the way. She's great. I loved her in Crazy Rich Asians and, of course, yes. The Farewell. When she's used well, she's great. I loved her in Jumanji. Oh, yeah. She's great in that too. And her character here in this movie i was getting glimpses of robin williams as the genie in aladdin because they're both blue and they're this magical being that no one's ever seen before and she ad-libs and uses like very uh modern language sometimes like i think they say like fleek or something mm-hmm. there's they, something like that no 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 we finished coming to america review oh that's where they I heard it from. <laughs> well, no they yeah that okay, Fleek is from Coming to America, but they use other type of language that I hear like today, and it kind of threw me out. Mm-hmm. And it mostly came from her, especially her humor as well. It's very, it's very modern, and I feel like we're in this ancient mystical fairy tale world. Uh, it threw it threw me off. It took me out of the movie, and yeah, it, it was like getting MacGuffins, trying to get pieces of a stone, putting it together. And towards the end, everything's going to be back to normal, normal, happy, uh, fun, fun time. The animation and the aesthetic of the movie, though, like the design and everything, that's all there. And it's gorgeous. This is a gorgeous movie. I mean, it's same Disney animation, but I mean, it's good. The water looks so good. The I think uh, the little paper animation intro and then the little animations that they do, they're having fun with that. The animators are having fun with this movie, but whenever it gets down to the plot, it's all stuff we've seen before in some way, shape, or form. And they just all, they just lump it all together in this movie, and they spit it out, and you have Rhea and the Last Dragon. 
giving praise to Disney about their animation is like congratulating water that it's wet. I mean, at this point, it's it's a given. They, you know how much money they have. They they can make anything possible. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, to me, it's already like I'm done. I'm over it. I'm, it's uh, <laughs> Disney. You do good with the cartoons. Great. Give me a good story and here. Mm-hmm. And you know what's crazy too? I feel like if it was a lot more simple in the story, it could have been really great. That's the worst part about yeah, it. Yeah, they were trying way too hard. Way too hard. And I feel like the premise already is great. I think they just tack on so much to the point where you kind of just get lost in it and you just don't care. At least for me, because I don't even see kids, like, following the movie. No, there were... uh, Whenever Aquafina's character was uh, first introduced, there was, like, no laughter I noticed from my family. And they're usually cracking up, and me along with them. And there was nothing for, like a good 10 15 minutes i will tell you something as a mother of three children a 10 year old a 12 year old and a 14 year old none of them i remember it came up and it's like oh it's 30 dollars, and all three of them were like you know they're all on social media all of them are constantly watching previews they're get they're getting the same like saturation that everybody else is and when it came to that they were all three like eh we can wait so i know when it comes to even like the desire to see it it's not up there with other things I noticed that, too, going into it. I, I was kind of looking around, and when I say that, I was, like, looking on the internet, uh, on, the, on the web, on, you know, social medias, and no one was really, like, hyping this movie up. Not even the marketing no. was kind of, like... No, there was, like, little to no marketing. Yet they want you to spend $30 on it, yet we got Soul for free? That's what's weird to me. Mm-hmm. But you know what? That's why, and I'm speaking as this from somebody who hasn't seen Rhea yet and just listening to you... This is why a show like The Cinema Show is so so important for listeners because you have people out there and now with all these streaming services, they're trying to get you to pay over $30 to see something. We need shows like this to hear people's opinions and to hear their feedback so we know whether or not it's worth it. So everyone, keep listening to The Cinema Show. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. This is why we do it, to keep them informed and save them a couple of bucks every now and again. Which I'm sure Disney will never sponsor us. Uh, we we should delete this if they ever reach out to I us. I just got some info from my technical um, my technical uh, supervisor over here. Uh, do you know that Raya and Soul got the same rating on Rotten Tomatoes? They're being paid like us. <laughs> Critics being paid. Never heard of that before. <laughs> but we are not. We are dirt poor. So listen to us. But Disney, if you ever pay me, I will appraise everything and anything you do. We will say you. anything you want us to say because I have three kids and they're going to go to college soon. I will call it Ray's lightsaber if you want me Absolutely, to. Absolutely, Disney. I have a Mickey Mouse hat if you ever want me to wear it all the time. Um, all right. Well, I mean, this movie wasn't like the worst thing in the world, but I mean, no. I've seen it all before. I would just rather watch something else. I know Ray is actually going to come out for free on Disney Plus later down the road. So just wait for that. Yeah, in like six months. Yeah, so, Lori, whenever that comes around and you decide to watch it with your kids, I do want to hear your perspective on it, and especially the kids. I want to see the demographic they're actually targeting and see how they respond to it. I will. All right, well, that's going to be it for us here. Uh, But for those listening, 
Uh, what are your thoughts on what we discussed? Have you seen any of these movies? And I would love to know what your thoughts were. So let us know on our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages at Cinema Show Live and use that hashtag Cinema Show Live. Give us your questions and comments about this episode and all the other episodes that we do around here. Or maybe you want to shout out. Either way, you're all part of the panel as much as we are. Jackson, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Jackson underscore DML. Love you, Lori. Where can we find you? Well, so many places. But right now, you can find me on Twitter under Lori underscore Guajardo. And, oh, you know what? We forgot to hear from Dario on this episode. Dario has been here this whole entire time, and we didn't ask any of his thoughts on these movies. And I'm sure he's watched them all. But you know what? That's okay. We'll get him next time. Dario, if you're listening. We'll talk after the show. I, I'm really interested in seeing what you think about coming to America. We'll get Dario on here. But a huge thank you to Dario for composing our music. And you can follow him on Twitter at Dorito is the name. Lori, what's your favorite Dorito flavor? Ooh, I'd have to say Cool Ranch. Ha ha, you Dylan. That's a, I'm, I'm a nacho cheese kind of guy myself. Ooh, with a little bit of, uh, like, Philadelphia cream cheese. Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And you can follow me on my personal Twitter at DylanMM5. You can tell me your favorite Dorito flavor. I won't judge you at all, unlike Jackson. Uh, This is The Cinema Show. Remember, all films are subjective, and it's all about perspective. Have a great day and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.